Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, let's move on. Feel free if uh, you want to jump into that. We'd love to hear from you. Send me a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. All right, uh, good news coming out yesterday for Canadian farmers. Uh, China had lifted the ban or has lifted the ban on Canadian meat products being exported uh, exported from Canada into uh, China. This includes beef and pork. Uh, pork, I believe, uh, for the Canadian farmers, China is their second largest market. So great news all around for them, but nothing on the canola industry and uh, nothing on the two Michaels that have been detained uh, in regard to the whole Huawei CFO uh, extradition hearing. So uh, is this a meeting of the minds? Is this uh, coming to some sort of term? No, it's just a case of China needs the pork. China's in the midst of a swine fever epidemic. Uh, Their hog herds are being uh, destroyed through this, and... It's a, it's a staple in China. So it's really uh, you know, not necessarily a meeting of the minds. It's about food security. Let's bring in Eric Miller, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, and is with us now. Eric, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me on. So obviously good news for Canadian farmers. Is this an easing uh, of the tension in the relationship between Canada and China? Should we be optimistic about this? Well, certainly we knew after the election that the Chinese would come forward and try to see where the new government stood in terms of its relationship with China. And this was a relatively easy give for the Chinese to 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 proceed with, because, as you said, they need the pork. Now, you got to give the Canadian government credit because their strategy from the beginning on this has been to essentially cut off all of the technical explanations that China could possibly use to show that this was based in something other than politics. And so the Canadian Food Inspection Agency worked very hard with their Chinese counterparts, and they demonstrated uh, everything they needed to do to show that Canadian pork was safe and that there was no other reason to keep it out of the market other than politics. And ultimately, when the Chinese looked at how are we going to test where the new government's head is in terms of its relationship with China, then you saw that they went for the pork issue because they could. Um, as you said, the Canadian uh, Food Inspection Agency, from what I've read on this, uh, they don't even think it was a Canadian shipment that they were talking about. This is in regard to feed additives that they had found in the product that were banned in China. Uh, the Canadian Food Agency was alluding to the fact that they don't even think these, this was Canadian product. So again, as you mentioned, they did the, they followed, traced the paperwork to find out that this wasn't the case. That being said, does China admit that or, uh, you know, because clearly once shown the proof, uh, they have changed their mind. Do How do they respond to that? Well, the, the, what the government did was essentially track down, the, track down the paperwork, as you said. It looked like it was some problems in Hong Kong that were not related to Canada. And ultimately, for China, everything is interconnected. So whether it's the Meng Wanzhou case or whether it's the Huawei 5G decision or whether it's uh, what happens on the trade front with canola. That being said, though, it appears that being said, though, sorry to interrupt, it, it appears that China made a mistake here, that they they got the wrong information. Are they aware of that or do they care? It's about politics. Now you've figured it out. So they just move on. I, I think they don't really care. They're moving on. 
What uh, what does this mean for the Canadian meat industry? How long before things are moving again? Well, certainly for the pork industry, this is a very important win because uh, if you look at the Chinese diet, pork is an important feature and China is a big market for them. For beef, it was important, but it wasn't quite as important. Uh, it has to do with, uh, again, the diet that uh, China has and also other markets. And so beef for Canada goes more to the U.S. and more to Europe than it does to China. Uh, you talked about give and take. Is, is, does this say anything about the relationship or just the, the sense that, you know what, at the end of the day, China needs the pork and they want to buy it. So we'll take it from you, they're saying. Uh, are, are they giving or are they taking here? Well, I, I think fundamentally you've got to look at it on a couple of levels. Yes, they need the pork, so it's a practical commercial transaction. But also, as I said, this is a way of assessing where the new government is, assessing how Dominique Barton as the new ambassador performs and, and, uh, and to see where they stand. Because what the Chinese, like everybody else in the world, want to understand is what does a minority government mean? Is there a reset in the relationship? Are we bound to continue on this negative pathway? There's a, there's a whole series of questions that are out there. And so the Chinese are doubtless thinking of what their next move is. And you don't also see this linked with the discussions with the U.S. You're seeing rhetoric or some press releases about optimism of a inter, intermediary deal with the U.S. that might see some tariffs removed. And so the Chinese are fundamentally assessing uh, where they are and looking at easing trade tensions with major Western countries as opposed to deepening them. You talked where that get them. You talked about a new the new minority government here. So what message does this all send to China in regard to Canada's new government? So the message is is that Canada is practical minded on things. But I think you've got some major decisions coming on Huawei five G and on uh, certainly new developments related to the Meng case, which is very much a legal process. And so we'll see. This was the the first step forward in uh, what some might see as a different relationship, but it doesn't change the fundamental divisions that are out there. But as most people in the diplomatic business will tell you, the first way to rebuild a relationship is to start with stuff that's easy and achievable. Hmm. Do the hard stuff later. Did China do us a favor here, or do we are, are we doing them a favor? Are we helping? I think we did each other a favor. Both parties got something they wanted. Food prices have been going up in China. China got a different source of pork, so that will ease the price escalations on pork in China, and Canada got some exports. Does the pork industry or do does the Canadian government have any leverage with this? For example, yeah, we understand you have a shortage of pork. Uh, we have plenty. We're willing to go back to where we were, but we want you to take a peek at canola or perhaps the two Michaels. Do those yeah, I mean, do those discussions even are, happen? Yeah. So before there were no discussions at all. And so the two parties are now talking. But I don't think your listeners should be overly optimistic about us seeing the two Michaels coming home anytime soon. Yeah. Until the Meng case is resolved, 
then they are probably not going to be freed, and that is going to weigh on the entire relationship. Uh, in addition, on canola, it's a very hard path to envision the Chinese uh, lifting tariffs because the Chinese want Canada to essentially follow their lead on a whole series of areas. Mm-hmm. But this is not just about the Meng case. This is also about whose orbit Canada is going to be in over the long term. And the U.S. has become a much harder ally to have. They've made uh, outrageous statements about national security on steel and aluminum. But the Chinese have also got very big problems on their own right, and they know that Canada is preternaturally inclined to work with the U.S. on issues of national security. But they're probing to see, are there fractures in that relationship that they can potentially exploit? So when something go when negotiations go on, and obviously there were meetings uh, between the two sides in order to get this ban lifted, when these negotiations go on, is it up to government to raise these other concerns? Is it is it up to government to raise uh, discussion about canola or the two Michaels, or is it instead the attitude we just get what we can? We're taking baby steps. So I think in this case they took baby steps. So I doubt that they raised the issue of the two Michaels in this negotiation. And they saw that they could get an achievable win. They sometimes call this the low-hanging fruit. And it doesn't mean that the Canadian government is not working vigorously on other tracks to try to get the Michaels freed or to try to get canola access again. But, you know, as the old saying goes, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Hmm. Uh, the new ambassador. So uh, getting back to the question of why this is happening now, if I'm correct, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, this past election has a lot to do with this. What about the new ambassador and the fact that those relationships are now uh, seem to be uh, closing? Yeah, so certainly Dominique Barton is somebody who is known and respected in Beijing and has spent a lot of time in China. And so he has a sense of where the Chinese position is and where you might be able to get some incremental gains. The sense is is that you're not going to solve the relationship all at once with some big giant deal. And so what he said is, look, you need our pork. Uh, We can make an arrangement here and we will finally have an example uh, that we haven't had in the last couple of years of Canada and China working together. But uh, there's certainly a great sense that there are long-term, deep structural issues with China that aren't going to be solved by simple one-off agreements like this. But you got to get to the hard stuff later. What is the new relationship with China like? I mean, for years, for decades, it's been viewed as the golden goose. Uh, people bend over to accommodate, to try to get business there. Then all of a sudden, trade wars... Uh, the Huawei CFO situation, the two Michaels and such. Uh, There was an article in the Toronto Star the other day saying that Canadians' attitudes towards uh, China are cooling. Um, What is the new relationship with China like? Because clearly we've learned they don't do business the same way we do. We've got to be a lot more careful about this. Yeah, so the bloom is very much off the China rose. People have seen the Chinese government for what they are and for how they negotiate. But after all, they are 1.3 billion people, and you have to deal with them. And so 
finding ways to deal with them constructively at a time when they are being more assertive abroad, at a time when they are seeking uh, to influence political debates, even in countries like Canada over issues like Hong Kong or, or, uh, or the, the Uyghurs. Uh, you see a situation where Canada is looking at how it can influence, how it can push back, but also work constructively, because it's an important export market for a good number of Canadian industries, but a lot of Canadian industries are frustrated with how China deals with things. And certainly Canadians who are not in the commercial sector are very frustrated with how Canadians have been treated, specifically the two Michaels. And so we may not like the Chinese system or how they do business, but fundamentally, it's about finding ways to walk and chew gum at the same time. And in the end, I mean, two different principles, two different ideologies, China looking for world domination. How does the rest of the world balance the opportunity with that assertion? Well, that means one has to think through very seriously what one's doing. If you are producing in advance laser technology or quantum communication system, maybe you don't want to do a joint venture with one of their companies because your intellectual property will very likely disappear. But if you're engaged in other types of business, such as development of, uh, uh, of a certain natural resource operation or something, perhaps it's something to look at. And so it's about thinking through what are the long-term consequences and people are just beginning to ask the question of where do the natural resources that we produce go? How are they utilized? Where do we get benefit? And what does China really want? They have their plan. And frankly, we need our plan in terms of how we need to deal with China. And part of the problem is, is that we've just assumed that they want to be like us. And now we've woken up and realized mm. they don't want to be like us. They want to be like themselves and leading the system. And so that's now pushing us to ask the question of where's our China strategy, which should be a key deliverable early on in this new government. Hong Kong, a great example of that. Many thought once the transition happened that China would see the success of Hong Kong and become more like them as opposed to China wanting to take over Hong Kong and, and throttle that progress. So is this a temporary position for China or will we see, because obviously it's a very aggressive tone right now, or will we see uh, what we thought, or is it too naive to think that, as we did in the past, that there is a kinder, gentler China underneath all of this? Uh, I, I don't think there is a kinder, gentler Communist Party of China. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's what we're forgetting in all of this, that at the end of the day, they yeah. are controlling this. Yes. I mean, if you've spent time in China and dealt with Chinese people, it's a wonderful, great culture with much to offer in the world. But this is not about the people. This is about the government. And and the government of China is uh, is looking at uh, asserting themselves in many ways, including in Hong Kong. Their their long term plan, even as part of the agreement in 2049, is for Hong Kong to become fully part of China. And the people of Hong Kong that are protesting don't want that. And you you are really at this irreconcilable difference point where. Uh, the people in the city who are protesting see no plausible alternative to continuing to fight because for them it's 
it's about assimilation and integration and thus adherence to uh, the the ideology, the communist ideology in China, or it's something else that sees them uh, in a situation of autonomy. But they're essentially saying, we don't want to be that frog in the steadily uh, warming water. Hmm. Eric Miller has been with us, fellow at the uh, Canadian Global Affairs Institute, talking about China-Canada relations moving forward. Eric, thanks for the time and insight. Fascinating discussion. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.